Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Wow. Okay, so you guys, I'm just going to come up here and you guys just keep preaching like you've been doing for the last 30 minutes up here. Just preach it at us. Just preach it at us, glory to God. You, you can be seated. My wife and I have done a number of things over the years and, and seen a number of things over the years. I think we're looking at each other during this service and saying there's something going on here powerful. Something powerful. And we really felt something tremendous just listening to your pastor and his wife and fellowshipping with them and in the ministry at the conference and listening to their teaching, which is tremendous. And you just don't know how blessed you are. Maybe you do know how blessed you are. Uh, the, the, the Pastor Omar was just really ripping it up in the, in the Word, and, and even after he stopped it, it just kept resonating, just kept resonating, you know. And we came in here tonight and uh, pulled in a parking lot and just, had, just got swamped with the love, you know. People just, just swamping us, just, just diving on us, you know, like fighting to get to us and just <laughs> greet us and love us, and we thank you for that. Music is fantastic. Um, I think it was, was it Justin. I saw your video on on uh, YouTube. Tremendous! The the YouTube testimonies, my story. I, I've seen four or five of those. Uh, the band, the singing, the the the, the screen man. I just love it. Just, I'm just real happy to be here tonight. Just fired up. Uh, my wife, my lovely wife here, uh, just can't tell you just how wonderful this journey with Christ has been. And there's a reason she's standing here right now. We were traveling, uh, ministering uh, around the state. We've been in Mexico uh, several times this year. and um, We've pioneered some churches over the years. We've had crusades and tents and open air and, you know, done a lot of different things in a lot of different buildings over the years. And so this year in January, we were traveling around and, and uh, she said, my neck hurts. And I thought, well, you know, she strained her neck carrying, you know, keyboard or something. I don't know what she was doing, you know, praying for people or something. And so uh, at any rate, um, she said her neck hurts. And we got back to San Diego and she was in a lot of pain. And so finally got her into the ER one night. She said, it's really bad. Took her in there. An hour later, I got a phone call from a doctor who said, your wife has a cancerous tumor in her neck. And I said, what do you mean in the neck? He said, in the bone in the neck. And I said, you know, how could you say it's cancer? Well, he knew exactly what he was looking at with a CT scan. Eventually uh, met with a, a neurosurgeon shortly after that and showed me what he was looking at. And he said, this tumor had eaten the entire C3 vertebrae up. 70% of it was completely gone. The tumor was on the spinal cord one millimeter or less away. It was on the blood vessel that goes to the brain uh, after two amazing six and a half hour long surgeries. There was no real promise uh, this is how we had Valentine's Day this year, by the way. We canceled our Valentine's Day, and, and uh, she was in the hospital, and they finally got this thing out of there. Two six-and-a-half-hour-long surgeries, six-and-a-half hours from the front, six-and-a-half hours from the back. They took the tumor out, <clears throat> and I went in. I met the neurosurgeon. We were talking right over April's body in the bed. Uh, her neck was collapsing because of the tumor, the, the danger of death, quadriplegic, all that was just present. Uh, they said she probably wouldn't be able to speak normal after these surgeries. Um, my first question to him was, did you get the tumor out? And he said, I left it. And I, I was just like, oh, I was stunned. He said, I, I can't, you can't get in there. It's so difficult, you know. Amazing surgeon. 
um, got the thing out of there, took it to a laboratory, and they said, we've got worse news for you. This is myeloma. It's multiple myeloma. It's an incurable cancer. It's rare. More, they find it more and more these days, but it's rare. It's very aggressive and very deadly. If you looked it up on Wiki or on the Internet, it would say mortality often occurs in six months from detection. Um, they found out that it was very advanced. They drilled into her hip, found that the uh, bone marrow was 40% cancerous. It was out throughout her blood, and the surgeon looks at her and says, you need to understand that this cancer is everywhere in your body, that your blood flows. And uh, so I'm sitting down with an oncologist, and I look at her, and we were just going down, down, down into the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through, and I said, we're not setting up a tent here, you know what I'm saying? We're walking through. But, man, it's not a fun place to hang out. I'd rather be in a cafe reach over here, you know. We were in a valley, we were in a valley of the shadow of death. I said, how long has she got if she gets up and walks out of this office right now? And then the oncologist said, maybe nine months, maybe a year. That was uh, end of March this year. So yes. Esther testified tonight. Hallelujah. And uh, so we're in the oncologist's office, and uh, and my husband asked her, you know, and she said six, uh, nine to nine months to a year. And okay, I'm gonna start crying. This is the ninth month, right here. And uh, and before I tell you what I told her, I want to tell you something. I've been serving God since I've been a little girl. And uh, it's been an adventure, serving God. And when they told me I was dying, I was like, God, do you hear what they're saying? Thank you. They're saying I'm dying. What do you say? Because the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So at the very beginning, I was praying. And he said, God, do you hear what they say? What do you say? What do you say? I want to hear your voice. I expect to hear his voice. If you're going through a storm right now, God wants to speak into your life. You can hold on to him. And this storm was very dark. It had no hope in the world. It had no hope. But I know who Jesus is because when I said yes to him, when I was a young girl, he wrote his name across my soul. And I know whose I am. And I, and I had said in my heart, and I was praying, God, if you want me to come home, then give my husband and my daughter, my son, and myself peace. But if you don't mind... If it's not your will, and if you don't mind, I'm asking for life. I'm asking for life. See, because I, I love serving God. I want to live for him. I want to love my husband. I want to love my kids. Every day I pray this. Every day I pray this. God, today, write your word upon the, the tables of my heart that I would not sin against you. Help me to serve you today, Lord God. Be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And today I want to share my faith. I want to share the gospel today. And I go throughout my day expecting that I'm going to do that. So I'm watching and I'm listening as I'm going through Hobby Lobby and wherever else I go. And I have ministered in Hobby Lobby more than once, more than twice, more than three times, more than four times. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And so I'll make it quick. So that's my heart's prayer. So I told the oncologist, she says she's got nine months to a year. And I said, 
Cancer is a powerful word. But the name of Jesus is above all other names. And if he can raise a dead man to life, he can heal me of this cancer if he wants to. And then I told her that cancer doesn't have the number of my days Jesus does. Amen. And so, I'm trying to hurry. And so, uh, that weekend, my family, we were all together. My son was there. And I said, I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to choose joy. And I told him what I told the oncologist. And then the Lord spoke to me. Now, this is six weeks later. This is after the surgeries. This is after all this stuff that I've been, had to go through, you know. And six weeks later, the Lord spoke to me. And he says, that's your answer. I have the number of your days. I have the number of your days. And, uh, and it just kept getting worse and worse, the news, you know. And uh, and then, then they, uh, after surgery and after that appointment there and all that, uh, they wanted me to... They wanted me to have a PET scan. And this is, and this is before my radiology and before my um, uh, chemotherapy. And I said, okay. So I went in there, and I did it. And, uh, and then we got the report. And uh, my, I had it on speaker. Every time they call, I put it on speaker because I don't understand all this stuff, you know. And, uh, and uh, they didn't find anything. Yeah, praise God. Praise God. And uh, and I felt I felt in my spirit because I was praying about this. I felt in my spirit go ahead and do the radiology, the, the radiation. It was ten days. I did it. And uh, and then I felt peace. I know this sounds odd, but I felt peace to go ahead and do the chemotherapy. And after the first one, because they do certain things, they take blood at certain times, they do certain tests, and they have their procedure of when things happen when they do. And they're telling me that uh, your, your blood's really good, probably better than mine is what one nurse said. And uh, I said, okay. And then they're not finding stuff. They're not finding stuff, and I'm going, okay. You know, and then uh, after everything... Uh, they said I sailed through it all. I, I have a lot of hair here. And uh, they, um, they, said, they said that... Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. So when they got her through that initial stage of chemotherapy, they had actually programmed chemotherapy to January of 2023. She probably would have been heading into... This is a constant discussion we had with the oncologist, that she'd be having a bone marrow transplant complete bone marrow transplant at the end of this year, early next year. And the, uh, the chemotherapy, in the early stages of it, she developed a little rash and they said, we have to stop everything. Then they drilled back down into her pelvis, took the bone marrow out, and this was the acid test of multiple myeloma. She said, there's no cancer in there. There was no cancer. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise and the Lord. That and was... That was July. That was July. Of 2022. That was July. And I knew she was going to want me to go in uh, when I go in to talk about doing uh, 
a, a chemotherapy uh, for the rest of my life, uh, a drug, a little drug pill for the uh, maintenance is what they called it. And I was asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, he didn't say anything. And, but I felt in my spirit something, okay? And so when I went in there, and it, and it just, it, this is what it was. We went in there, and she, I said, well, she goes, okay, we're going to do the maintenance. And I said, well, wait a minute. And I said, what number is it to where you start cutting out body parts again? And she said, it's this number. I said, what number is it where I can do the maintenance? She said, that number. And I said, well, if you don't see cancer, how about we don't do anything until you do? And she said, as long as you come once a month. I said, okay. And the reason I said that is this, is because I felt like in the Bible, in the Israelites, they're, they're, they're leaving Egypt. And they, they saw the miracles that God did. And I saw the miracle, the PET scan, and the blood, and then the, um, the uh, bone marrow being clean. All of this. And, and this is before they're doing stuff. So this was God. They were shocked. They called it an anomaly. And I said, well, I think Jesus healed me. You know, that's what I said. And, uh, and so... So we're going through all of this, and I, and I just felt that I saw God do this. I saw God do that. I saw God do this. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, here's the soccer ball. What are you going to do with it? You know? And I just said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust him. And so I'm on my walk of faith. So she had me come in, did the blood, didn't see anything, had me come in, did the blood, didn't see anything, had me come in. And then she said, how about you come next year? And I said, okay. And that was like October, I think. And uh, so here I am. And I just want to tell you that if you're going through a storm, hold on to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hold on to Hallelujah. Jesus. Hold on, on to Jesus. Hold on to Hallelujah. Jesus. Live your life serving God. Live your life dedicated to serving God. That's all that lasts. Hallelujah. And to reach people. To reach people. And I just want to leave this with you. That when we were in the hospital, and I got to go to all these different places during my storm, the fields were white unto harvest. There were so many nurses, so many doctors. We prayed with so many nurses. COVID couldn't even keep us out of there. So I'm on this journey, and sometimes I didn't plan to have um, cancer on my journey, okay? But my life is in God's hands, and it did not take him by surprise. So I'm walking on this journey, and wherever I go, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. You hold on to Jesus and be a light wherever you go. Wherever you find yourself, be a light. So I got to share my faith with a lot of nurses, and I got to pray with so many nurses and different people that, that God had me in all these different places, radiology, all the different places. And God was, he's so good, and I am so grateful. I am so, so grateful that God has given me life. Thank you. And praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Ah. Wow. Thank you, Isaac. Wow. That, uh, I've seen some miracles. Uh, nothing like the ones that you need. When you need a miracle, I've seen some miracles. I've seen some cancer disappear. Seen, some, seen God do some things. And then comes the day when you need God to do some things. And you know, Romans 10 says, He does not disappoint. Hallelujah. When God steps up, he steps up and says, I do not intend to disappoint you. Hallelujah. 
Well, uh, I want to share for a few minutes here. Uh, I just felt like, man, that's a documented miracle. I just want to give God glory. My wife wants to give God glory. Take that, devil. Glory to God. I mean, come on, people. They say, you know, those miracles are past. Ha-ha! Too late to tell me that. So I want to talk a little bit about a fundamental element of Christian faith. And I, I, I just, you know, we, we get into the complex things. I'm not going to get into something complex here. I just want to talk about something very simple because it's like fundamental, elemental substance of our walk in God is throughout Scripture, but it, it originates in, in very simple and small places, but it has such a powerful impact. And in somehow, uh, 40 years ago, I got a gu- double dose of this stuff. Uh, so I'm going to just call it passion for right now. But I, I mean, I mean, I got a double dose of this passion when I got saved. I wasn't raised in church. And I just got excited, excited about everything in the Word of God. So I want to share a little bit about that with you tonight. John 10, 10, and you don't have to go there. I'm just going to use Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. Right. Now, we don't, we don't have to sit there and define life, do we? The definition of life is... Uh, Brother, you alive or you're dead? You got life? You know what I'm saying? We just call it life. Nobody asks Jesus, uh, Master, can I ask you a question? What's life? They looked at the Pharisees and they said, Dead. They looked at Jesus and said, life. That's the way it is today. Even dead Christians today, they're walking around dead. He said, you got a name that you were alive, but you're dead. We put that name of life on our churches all the time. You know, the church of the living, eternal waters of the river of life. (laughs) And you walk in there and it's like the, you know, it's like the embalming center or something. Man, so passion, let's talk about passion, let's talk about life, let's talk about getting fired up. Something happened to me, man, and I mean, it seems like for 40 years, 40 years ago, it seems like I've always had three or four Christians jumping on my back trying to hold me down, calm down, calm down. I don't know, they told me it was going to burn out like it was just zeal that was going to blow up, and it never has. It's 40 years, I think it's good. If it lasts 40 years and gets thousands of people saved, if it cancers disappear, if churches are planted, crusades are born, if there's a blazing trail across three different countries, glory to God, then it works. So I'll talk a little bit about that. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, New New King James Version I'm reading here. Paul said, do you not know? Now, that's a good question to ask yourself. Do you not know? Those who run in a race, they ra- those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. And then he said this, run! That's what he's telling you. So we can just stop right there. One word, Run! What do I do? Run! And I had a guy, and he was from Oklahoma, and he came out, and I used to coach track, and he came to our Christian school where I was teaching at, and, and this kid was fast, man. He got, we got hooked up in this big Sacramento inner city track meet, man, where all the best were there, and we did 100-meter sprint, man. In 100 meters, those of these you run, you know, the 100 meters, you just can't, you don't think. You can, you can train, you know, how to stand the blocks, how to hear the gun, how to react. And, you are. and so this guy's getting ready, and he never trained with us at all. 
I put him right out in 100 meters, and he's looking at the other runners. He's going, look what that guy's doing. What's he doing in the blocks and all that? You know, look at his shoes, you know, and I'm wearing like a pair of cutoffs. You know, this guy's like out of some place in the middle of Oklahoma, but he's fast. He was fast. He goes, what do I do, Lee? What do I do? Run! I looked at him and I said, look, forget all these people on the left and all these people on the right. They all look like they know what they're doing. I said, there's only one thing that matters. I said, brother, you got speed in you. You got life. You got the juice. You got it. And he knew when I was looking him in the eye, I wasn't kidding around. I said, when that gun goes off, brother, I said, you run like the wind and choke them with heel dust. He looked like the biggest loser. He was never, these other guys, man, they were just, just strapping athletes, you know. And here's this guy, you know, walking around like this. And he's just so afraid. I just said, run! That gun went off. Run! Boom! And he won. First place. 11 seconds flat. Glory to God. Run, baby, run. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. I don't know why we have such a problem when we talk about serving Jesus Christ. I'm willing to give something up. You want a degree at college? You're going to have to pay for it. You want to be good at your job? You want to promote? You might have to put some extra in there. If you want to be an athlete, and I've trained with some athletes, let me tell you what. These guys measure out their little shakes and every little thing that they eat and everything they do, everywhere they go, every rep they do, it's all written down in all these little schedules. Man, you're going to have to do something. I'm not talking to anyone here that doesn't want to do nothing. If you want to be that guy that did everything he could possibly do in the world and enjoy of worldly pleasure and still make it into heaven, that probably is a badge of its own. I can't find it in the Bible, but I don't want to be that guy. I'm ready to give up to go up. I'm ready to press in. I'm ready to push through. I'm ready to break through the walls. I'm ready to go into some undiscovered country. I'm ready to go above and beyond. Glory to God. And everyone who competes for this prize has this passion. Now, they do it for, for a perishable crown, but we're running for something way more important, an imperishable crown. And then Paul said this in verse 26. He said, therefore, I run. I'm not just telling you this. He goes, I'm running. And let me tell you, you youngsters, man, you'd have a hard time keeping up with that old man. He'd been beat with rods. He'd been tortured, spit on, stoned to death. But when that dude rose up back from the dead, he started running again. You'd have a hard time keeping up with him. He said, I run. And not with uncertainty. I got purpose. I have a singularity. I have a motion and a focus. And that's how I fight. He goes, I fight. And maybe, you, you know, people out there today, they don't find themselves in the mood to fight. But Paul said, I do. I fight. Not as somebody who beats the air. I love what Mike Tyson said. He goes, everyone has a plan until you punch them in the mouth. <laughs> I don't even know what that has to do with the sermon. I just like it. No, let me tell you what it has to do with the sermon. Is that you sit there and think all this stuff through. And you think and you think and you study. And passion is what moves beyond that analyze till you paralyze thing. Passion is what launches you forward. Passion is the thing inside of you. When you get busted the chops by the devil one time. When it, 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 I'll tell you. When they said, your wife is going to die. That's what they, they looked at me and said, get it in your head. This is terminal and it will kill you. It was like just getting punched in the gut. It wasn't a bunch of uh, doctrinal theses that I've written that was going to stand me up and move me forward. I've been punched in the gut, been punched in the mouth. You've got a plan. I know what I'm going to do next week and next week and next week. And then 
bam, you get punched right in the mouth. Let me tell you where I come from, Michigan, and we played hockey, and we got a saying back there. We got a saying back there. You know, you pull a tooth out and you whip it on the ice. You go, that was a good game. That's what we used to say. That was a good game. Go ahead. Everybody's got a plan, and you think till you get punched in the mouth. There goes your plan. Now you're going to be running on passion. Paul said, "I discipline my body." You know, you know. It just, uh, I could just go into that one. I don't have time. Bring it in a subjection, glory to God. If you just did that, you would be somebody different. That the world would look at you and go, "Wow." Lest he, and he said, "I have preached to others." He goes, less when I have preached to others, but if you just take that one thing, I have preached to others. I'm not going to live my life not telling this lost world about Jesus. Revelation 3.15, Jesus said to the church, he said, I know your works, that you are neither cold or hot. He said, I wish you were cold or hot. That Greek word hot is zestos. You know, Jesus wants us zesty. You never have to apologize to Jesus for being zesty. I want to be spicy. The devil takes a bite out of me, man. I want it to be like one of them ghost peppers. Little verse in here in the end of John. Peter, horrible failure. Everything that was wrong with this guy's life. He made so many mistakes. Jesus comes to him and says, now, oh, they're all looking at him. They're going, now you're going to get it, Peter. He is going to grill you for everything you've ever done wrong. And they're all just sitting around, man. We want to see Peter get it because he was always launching up in front of everything, you know. And Jesus just says this. He just looks at him and says, hey, dude. You still feel that fire? You still got it? I don't care how many times you've been down. I don't care we've been beat up from the feet up. I don't care if you hear that count of that referee going, one, two, you're nine, 9.5, you know, you're laying there. You've got no intention of getting up. And what is it that lifts you off that canvas one more time? It's the fire that says, I ain't giving up, glory to God. My wife, she laid down. I had to buy a special bed when all this stuff was going on. And she laid down in that bed. And, man, I told her one day, I said, honey, I, gotta, I, gotta, I was feeding her water with a baby spoon. She couldn't even swallow it. I had to mix it with stuff. And I said, honey, I got to go. I, I'm going to preach. You know, I'm I just, just going to have our daughter watch you, and I'm going to be back. And she goes, okay, okay. You know, she's laying there. And, and so she couldn't swallow really good. And there was a lot of, you know, everything was going bad. There was no good news at that point. But I said, man, I got to go preach the gospel, honey. I'm going to be back in a few hours. So I was getting ready to go. And I looked at her, and she's getting dressed. I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm going. She had a neck brace on, and we were preaching at the Methodist church that day. I said, well, honey, if you're going to go, you're going to have to preach. So she got up. She preached in English. I preached in Spanish, and 15 people gave their heart to Jesus. Ha! Zesty. I looked at, man, we've been married for 35 years, and I looked at her, and I said, that's my girl. 
that was a good game. <laughs> they say in Detroit, they say, I went to the hockey, uh, I went to the fights and a hockey game broke out. That's what they would say. Yeah, I went to the fights and a hockey game broke out. Angelique Gomez was operating in pure passion when she ran into the blood-soaked school in Uvalde, Texas, May 24th of this year. The police trained in hostage situations and dangerous situations. They themselves, trained and educated and prepared with all their gear on, were unwilling to enter that school when they listening to the gunfire, listening to the teachers and the kids being shot and murdered and killed, and they stood outside for about 45 minutes. Not Angelie, field worker, mother of two, I think she's a single mother of two, young Mexican lady, she ran towards those police and said, we got to go in there. They apprehended her and handcuffed her right there if she was trying to get in that school. Finally, she talked them into releasing those handcuffs. I'll be good, I'll be good. They released the handcuffs. She ran around the side, jumped over a chain link fence, ran into that school with a gunfire going off. She goes, I got two kids in here and I'm not leaving without them, glory to God. That's passion. I want some of that. I want what that lady's been drinking. And you know, if you read the story carefully, you know what you're going to find out? She didn't come out of there with two kids. She came out of there with a bunch of kids. Jesus said, I'll make you fisher men. When you've got the passion, when they see the passion in your eyes, you're going to go after one or two. You're going to get a whole net full. Little Angelie Jolie, uh, Gomez, she came out of that school with a whole crowd of kids going, yeah, baby, let's go. That's what I sense is happening right here. God is raising up some people. Passion calls up faith. You want faith? Get some passion. Get some love. Red, hot, fervent love of Jesus in your heart. It calls up faith. It calls up confidence. It calls up courage that you never knew you had. Passion can live in the moment. Passion can seize the day. Passion can see the future and declare those things that be not as though they were. I've talked to a lot of educated ministers that could explain anything away. They argued one time in history how many angels could stand on the head of a pin while somebody else was banging doors through the body of getting people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Who do you want to be? I want to be a man of passion. Passion is a fire. It's an ambition. It's a zeal for a particular event or a dream or a vision or for a person. Passion is when we put in more of ourselves Passion is when we put the very best of ourselves in what we do. Your passion must be singular or narrow or it will reveal critical weaknesses at a crucial moment. Jesus said you can't be passionate about everything. You can't serve two masters. You can't divide yourself. James said, uh, uh, John, he said you can't be friend of the world. James said you can't be friend of the world and friend of God. So you try to split your passion up, and it splits you up. Passion needs a singularity. It needs a single purpose. When your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. Get a hold of a vision. Get a hold of the vision of this church. Get a hold of the vision that God has deposited right here. Lock on to it. Don't break up and say, well, I'll just put a little here and a little here and a little there. Lock and load, baby. Paul was a man of this type of passion.
There's a small nerve in the body. It's called the vagus nerve. It runs directly across the heart. It's connected to the brain stem, the autonomic or involuntary nervous system, located in the medulla oblongata. That sounds like some kind of a basketball player or something. <laughs> Just got a $300 million contract. What's your name? Medulla. <laughs> Medulla oblongata. <laughs> so this nerve that runs along the heart, it sends a spark across your heart every single time it beats. And cardiac muscle is unique to every other muscle fiber in the body that it can self energize but occasionally the heart finds itself without a spark this spark is what gives your body life from one moment to the next or it's your very last as soon as it ceases then you could use a defibrillator so a defibrillator and this is good for some of you i have got a brother here that told me he's got the call of an evangelist on his life you're gonna you god gives you the defibrillator that's where you walk up to those people that are dead. They say, I don't believe in any of this stuff. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in miracles. I don't... And you get the defibrillator and you just look at your bros and you say, Claire. <laughs> There's been times when God just, you know, I, I got into some situations and I said, God, this is, this, this is getting to be a difficult group of people. Lord just says, here, get the defibrillator. So I was sitting there a couple times this happened, man. We had a crusade tent. You had to drive 50 car axles in the hard pan to set up this tent. They're inch in diameter, and you drive them with a 12-pound sledgehammer. You've got to have some passion if you want to set up a crusade tent, let me tell you. Because you're smashing these things in the hard pan down in Mexico, and you're just going, boom, boom, you know, and you're just down there working. And God would just fill that tent. And some of the churches that we went to, I, I remember one church in particular, 1993, went in there. I mean, God just said, you just get the defibrillator out, Lee. Your sermon isn't going to do it. <laughs> These guys are dead. <laughs> so I just called them up there, man. <laughs> and they were falling. On, I thought I was, it was like stacking wood. It like logs falling on top of each other. A guy came down here about 50 years old, and he goes, he was saying in Spanish, he goes, I don't even believe in it. You know, he fell down. Then these teenage girls came up, and they were like, ha, ah, boom. Sometimes instant communication of passion to passion, defibrillator. Passion is like this spark deep in your soul. Passion is to your spiritual heart what this spark is to the cardiac muscle fiber of your body. Passion is the fire of your soul. And I'm going to give you a couple of things. Real quick, I'm just going to read through these. You don't have to put them on the screen. Things that burn. You might say, Lee, you're making some strange connections here with passion and all this stuff. Here's some things that burn. James 3 says, the tongue is a fire. Man, I have seen people with their tongue. It says they could, you could light a forest on fire with that thing. I totally believe James. I've seen people burn their whole house down on top of themselves and on their marriage and their kids with their tongue. James said it's set on fire by hell. It's burning. Romans 1 says lust. They burned in lust. That's passion. It's carnal passion. But it's fire. Jealousy in Proverbs says it's a passion. Here's some good things that burn. Holiness. 
Isaiah had an encounter with God. Now, Isaiah was living a little bit of compromising life. He was not really hot, not really cold. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 6, he shares his testimony. He said, it was like the angel Gabriel reached down into the hibachi, pulled the coal out, and stuck it to my lips. Fire! Jeremiah, he said, the word of God is like a fire shut up in my bones and I'm tired of holding it in. Is that, are we reading the same Bible? When you read the word of God, is that what you're feeling when you read it? You open it up and it just lights you up. It burns down inside the, the, the uh, bone marrow down inside of there. I'm tired of holding it in. Now, I mean, a lot of people say, well, I'm trying to get something. I say, well, I'm tired of holding it in. Luke 24, the disciples were walking down the road with Jesus. And Jesus had concealed his aspect, his, his appearance to them. They didn't know it was him. And he was talking. They said these words in Luke 24. Did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us? Now, I'm going to challenge you tonight. You have not even been talking to Jesus unless your heart is burning. 40 years of walking with Jesus. Last night, in the middle of the night, man. Now, I was in the middle of the night. My heart was burning. Talking with Jesus. Here's another thing that lights on fire that's a good thing. It says, God will make his messengers a flame of fire. Hebrews 1 and 7. You want to be a messenger of God? Get ready for some fire, some passion, some life. And how would all this be place or how it would be out of place if God himself was not a consuming fire, Hebrews 12 and 29. If doctrine is the fiber of what you believe, it is passion that sparks it all to life. It is this very spark that we often lack even more than knowledge itself. In last days, they'll heap to themselves teachers, itching ears. But Jesus said in the end of time, Men's love will grow cold because their iniquity will abound. He said the sign of the end of the times is you'll see a lack of passion. Lukewarm Christians don't want to admit that their faith has grown cold. But they can't maintain a fire long enough to say they are hot. Jesus said, this makes me sick. So in Acts chapter 1 in verse 3. And I'll read this to you out of the King James, because this is only in the King James. It says, To whom also he showed himself alive, speaking of Jesus, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Now, this is the Jesus that I serve. He has shown himself to me, not raised in religion. I didn't have a reason to believe the Bible. I didn't, you know, I didn't have parents or brothers or sisters or friends even. I didn't even have a single friend that was serving God that could try to lay out some argument or something to me. I don't think it would have worked anyways. God just said, he's dead. Get the defibrillator out. <laughs> boy, boy, I must have really been dead. You know in the movie when the guy goes, poof, do it again. Poof, poof, poof. I think God just said, just hold it down on him for a while. Bah. Okay, okay. Infallible Jesus. But it says in the King James, it says, after his passion. The Greek word there is pathos, which in the good sense is almost always translated as suffering. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing that the King James chose to translate it as passion. In almost every other translation, you will see New King James and NIV, etc. It says suffering. But, you know, we often look at suffering kind of like a... You know, I'm suffering over here. Aww. 
But, you know, I, I, today I took my Greek translator. I'm, my family's Greek and, you know, modern Greek, and we study Greek. You know, I'm looking at the Greek. I get my translator out. I typed passion into my Greek Google translator. You know what word came up? Pathos. 2,000 years still using the same word. Passion. Passion. And, you know, we call it the passion of Christ. We don't want to let go of that, right? So the new translations is called the suffering, but when a movie comes out, we don't call it the suffering of Christ. We call it the passion of Christ. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, are we right translating it that way? You know, where are we going with this? But when I read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Laying aside every weight, every hindrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, run! Run that race! And then it says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, we're not going to do this without him. We're going nowhere without Jesus. And no power without Jesus. And here's what it says. Who? For the joy set before him. Jesus didn't come down here and go, Oh, gosh, I'm really suffering. <laughs> he came down here and he said, Man, let's do this. Oh, yeah, this is a bargain right here. Bargain, 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 bargain. It's like a swap meet, man. Let's go down here and just get some. <laughs> God so loved the world. Passion. I know when my name came up, he didn't think long and hard over that. Oh, this guy's going to be trouble. I don't know if I want to deal with it. I don't know if it's going to be worth it. Nobody thinks he's going to make it. Nobody thought I was going to make it. Every, even the Christians, I got saved. They looked at me and go, he'll never make it. They say it right in front of me. <laughs> he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Don't overanalyze it. Embrace it. And what are you waiting for? Here in this place, there's so much passion. There's so much life here. Engage. Lock in, partake, give. Do you want to be that guy that just gave it all one time? I did that a few times, all the way down to negative. I gave hot checks to the missionaries. I gave so much. I gave it all. I said, man, I give it all. I'm at zero. Then a missionary got up and preached. I said, man, I wrote a hot check to that dude. I went home and I said, God, I just wrote a hot check. God said, we'll cover it. I love your passion. I made it good. In 1912, the RMS Titanic sank after striking an iceberg. The captain said on the departure of that trip, he said, God can't even sink this ship. And less than a day later, an iceberg ripped through the side of it and the whole thing was going down. 2,224 2, passengers on the boat over 1,500 of them died in the icy waters that night. And the lifeboats weren't filled. There was room, just by the standards of how many people could go on the boat, there was room for at least another 500 people. I mean, think about it. There was, now, the water was completely still like ice. The moon, there was no moon. So as the ship was sinking, the water was completely still. They launched the lifeboats. People got in them. I don't think hardly any of them were full. 
And then they pushed away from the boat to not be disturbed as the boat was sinking. Many people were just diving and falling and freaking out. And the people in the boats just withdrew from the, from the wreck. And so as the people were dying in the freezing water, screaming for help, the, the survivors told the story of how they could hear their screams, but they couldn't see them. Many people said, I told the person in charge of the boat to go back, but they wouldn't. Many people said, we were afraid to go back because we'd be overwhelmed by all of the people. It was too dangerous. The, the people dying in the water, some people even pushed the swimmers that were trying to make it to those extra boats, pushed them back with their oars as they paddled away. Ten miles away, within reach, ten miles away was the SS California, sitting there in apathy, seeing the flares, the distress flares that went out. They were shooting up the flares, saying, help, that, those flares meant we are in critical danger and it is over. We got no radio, we don't need radio contact. When you see those flares, you run. This is a flare, man. Help, SOS. They sat there. The guy saw the flares. He recorded it in a log and he went back to sleep. That's apathy. Passion is pathos. Compassion is sympatheo. Sympatheo means together, suffering together. Passion is pathos. Sympatheo in Greek would be the compassion. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the weaknesses of our infirmities. Jesus can be touched with our infirmities, our feeling. He can feel what you feel. He can sympatheo with you. He suffers with you. When you're suffering, he, suffer, he feels it. It touches him. Your hurt touches Jesus. He, in Matthew 9, he looked at all the multitudes as he walked by and he just looked at them. And he said, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said this. He said, it, the Bible says this, he was moved with compassion. Sympatheo. Pathos. Raw, nuclear pathos. Moved the heart of God. You know, I don't think your prayers are moving God with theology sometimes. It's a book on how to pray or this or that or all these things or some kind of formula. But man, when you pray with passion and compassion, my scripture says it moves the heart of God. A pathos is apathy. The California sat there in apathy seeing the flares. Ten miles away, they could have rescued every single person in the water. 50 miles away, the, the Carpathia was speeding to the scene when they saw the flares. But 50 miles is a long way in that size of ship. And they were speeding, trying to get there. And they were trying to signal the Carpathia, why don't you go? Why don't you go? Or the, the, the California. But they had shut their radio off. So the Carpathia got there and didn't save a single person. Everyone they pulled out of the water was dead. There were several clergymen on the Titanic that night. The names of them all were recorded. Not one of them was rescued. They all died. Some of them went and sang songs. I'm going to sing some songs. One clergyman, this is the record, Reverend William Sylvan was last seen calmly lighting a cigar on the deck as the ship went down. I'll tell you, we got guys like that in America today, and I don't want to spend any time on it, but they're going to just sit there and try to put a dignified look on, light their cigar as the whole thing is going down in the drink. But there was another man. Here's my man, Scottish pastor John Harper. 
He seemed a little out of place on that luxury voyage because he was continually urging people to repent of their sins and accept Jesus. But when that ship went down, it made perfect sense why he was the way he was. As the boats were out there in the lifeboats, they say as, only the highest record of the returning ships was that four of those little boats went back. But many people say only one of those 20 lifeboats even turned to go back. And you could hear, the, in that stillness of the water, you could hear Pastor John Harper screaming to the people, Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? And he was praying a sinner's prayer with people as they were dying. One guy was hanging on a piece of wood or something that had come off the ship. And he said, Do you know the Lord? And the guy said, No. He took his life jacket off, strapped it onto that guy and says, You need this more than me. And he swam off to pray with people. John Harper died, and that guy that he gave his life jacket to was one of only six people that were plucked out of the water that night by those boats. Can you imagine living with that? I'm alive because of Pastor John Harper. And you're not going to remember his degrees. You're not going to remember all of these catchy things, but you're going to say, man, that man had passion. From dying soul to diving soul in the frigid water, calling to men who must be saved. Seven billion people on this planet right now, sinking into the darkest depths, going to cross the veil of death in any day. And they're shooting up flares all around us. San Diego slogan, America's finest city. Sorry, L.A., you didn't get that slogan in your police cars, but we did. Our suicide rate doesn't go down. Our homeless rate doesn't go down. Our drug addiction rate doesn't go down. Our gang violence doesn't go down. They're shooting. Kids are shooting up flares every day while some pastors are sitting out the deck of their patio lighting up a cigar. But there's a few people, the people of passion, the people of compassion, the people that have been touched by the heart of God. The defibrillator hit them. And their only hope is, as for it is for us today, the gospel of Jesus Christ. My last verse I'm going to close with. Proverbs 23, 26. He said, my son. This is some big advice in the Bible. He said, my son, give me your heart. I'm going to ask if you would all stand with me for just a moment. I'm going to pray. Well, I'm just calling to all of you tonight. I want to tell you that. From the very moment that I walked in these doors and I saw all these young people, I, I, I saw the, the energy and the, the life that's here. Something real happening right here. And if my wife and I could go back over 40 years of miracles and tell you where that passion has led us, people always say this. You could write a book, Lee. Cancer. Demons, boom. thousands of people have come to the Lord. And I'm nobody. You didn't even know who I was when I was on my way here. Oh, Lee Limberopolis. <laughs> I didn't even in Mexico, they'd say, ¿Cómo se llama? I'd say, Lee. they go, Lee, Lee, Leek. Leek is licenciado. So that's the only thing close. And I, the only thing I could get him to, I said, Bruce Lee. Like Bruce Lee. In el Espíritu Santo. Okay. Orale. You don't even know who I am. I don't even really know who you are. It doesn't matter because we know who Jesus is. 
And I'm telling you the substance that is in this building, in these hearts, there's a generation of something happening right here in this room right now. You may have never thought of it this way, but Jesus is making a nuclear core for a Holy Ghost thermonuclear explosion that's going to hit this city. And you take the center, you take the center and you polish it and you purify it and you purify it you run it through those purifiers over and over and over and over and get rid of every single undesirable element. We want plutonium 238, boom, and that's all. Not a speck of anything. Ultimate purity in that central core. We've got to have a radical core. That's all it takes is a few. One man said, give me 10 men who care nothing about nothing other than winning their generation for Christ. And I will change the world. That's what Jesus himself actually did. It doesn't take a lot. But it takes a core. It takes a team. The hand of Jesus has to come down. And I see this here right now. He is got pastors and he's got people that are gathering together and he's building this core and he's just purifying this core he's just purifying this core and some of you are like wow lord you're really really getting after some stuff and then you got to have what's called a critical mass 10 million people in the la basin He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So you're sitting here, you're standing here tonight. I challenge you with two thoughts. They both revolve around this verse in Proverbs. Giving your heart to Jesus. Number one, you walked in this door tonight and you felt like someone put you in a headlock and drug you here. You're like, what's going on? destiny freedom healing love Jesus and in a moment I can invite people to come up here and pray and you can simply step out from where you are and come down here and pray and say Jesus come into my heart you will find him here for the rest of you I say this This is a juncture in time and destiny for you. This is time to press in to the center of this core. Abandon everything that hinders that run. You can see from the scriptures we looked at tonight how worldliness, Christ isn't judging you. He's not going to beat you up with a stick over this stuff. But if you want to enter in, if you really want to go with it, you're going to have to drop some things off. And he's calling you. You got to give up to go up. So as the band begins to play, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are. I don't care if every single person comes forward in this room. I'm here to pray with you. I'm praying, God, touch them. If you came in the room tonight and said, I feel so dead, I don't feel saved, I haven't felt a single thing, defibrillator, He will revive you. He's a great purpose for your life. 
if you looked into his eyes tonight, you would be the joy set before him. You're his joy. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.